Hi everyone, and welcome back. I am Angelo Luciani, and welcome to the Nutanix Community Podcast. This is where the community converges to stay informed, learn about our latest developments, and get to know the folks inside Nutanix. Today, we join Teresa Payton, former White House CIO, leading cybersecurity expert, and CEO and author, Fortalist Solutions, and Monica Kumar, SVP Marketing and Cloud at Nutanix, to talk about cybersecurity. The pair unpack potential cyber threats on both the public and private sector. This is part of our look back series at .next 2021. Let's join the discussion. Welcome back, everyone. Now, this next segment is going to be very exciting. So hold on to your seats. As one of the nation's leading authorities on cybersecurity, Teresa Payton is a name well-recognized. Teresa has made history as the first female to serve as the White House CIO and is currently the CEO of Fortless Solutions, uh, which, by the way, has a, a name, has a whole story behind it. So check that out. Now, before overseeing IT operations as CIO for President George W. Bush and his administration, she held executive, executive roles in banking technology for, for two of the country's top financial institutions. She's the author of several publications. She's a well-known cybersecurity expert, and she's been seen on television in many different shows, and today she's here with us at the .next stage. So welcome, Teresa. We are so excited to have you here with us. Oh, I am thrilled to be with you. I wish we could be in person, but this is a creative way to be together. Exactly. And now you've had such an illustrious career, and we'd love to hear from you on how you ended up on this political main stage, the White House. You know, it's interesting. I did not have it on my list of jobs. Uh, and I always say it was a God thing. I had just come back from maternity leave with my second. I have three kids. And I got this call out of the blue. I thought I was being socially engineered by fraudsters saying that there was a position open at the White House and would I want to be on the candidate slate? What I learned later was that President George W. Bush had a firm commitment to diversity and inclusion, and it's tough to fill roles, especially the second half of a second term of a presidency. And he was very strong that he wanted to see new names, new faces, and he wanted a commitment on the candidate slate to diversity and inclusion. And so I got my opportunity to interview and the incredible honor to serve our country working under President George W. Bush. So just uh, I'm so glad I took that phone call. I, I love the story, Teresa. You're such an inspiration as a leader in security and as a woman leader for me personally and in technology. And a lot of women and girls obviously look up to you. So thank you for being this great role model for all of us. Now, let me. I'm curious to ask you this. Did you face any specific challenges being a woman in the field of tech and cybersecurity? and specifically in the political world? And then how did you overcome those? No, I appreciate the question. And uh, I mean, I, I do face challenges from time to time around sort of gender bias. And sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious. And I have to admit, because I don't have it front and center, that sometimes it actually surprises me. But I often go back to some advice my dad gave me when I was very young and I was frustrated at being underestimated. And he said, being underestimated is your secret weapon. You can operate in stealth 
and nobody will see you coming. And so whenever I get a little frustrated, I remember that I'm going in stealth mode and, uh, and then I just kind of push through it. But, uh, you know, and that would be my message to anybody who feels underestimated. Maybe you've made a career change. Uh, maybe you feel like you're the only one of you uh, at the table, whether it's virtual or physical. And just take your passion and your energy and focus it on, you know, kind of what you're trying to achieve and you will accomplish it. That is such fantastic advice from your dad. Uh, now I'm going to move to the topic of cybersecurity and talk about, you know, from botnets to cyber warfare to ransomware, phishing, hackings, to all this misinformation and this invisible manipulation of campaigns. What kind of security threats keep you up at night? Yeah, I, I mean, I wrote a book, Manipulated, so I'm incredibly concerned that manipulation campaigns are here to stay and are unfortunately sort of this insidious part of the ecosystem of every social issue. And they're hard to discern, they're hard to stop, and it's going to take a global effort. We can't technology our way out of misinformation and disinformation campaigns. And the same thing with cybercrime. It's going to take global partnerships to stem the rising tide of cybercrime. I am concerned, you know, when I look out uh, a few years out and make my cybercrime predictions, you know, some of the other areas I'm concerned about is sort of weaponized misinformation campaigns that are run by artificial intelligence. I'm concerned about space. You know, we see uh, both governments and private sector individuals going to space and many of the things that we rely on today, such as our GPS systems, are on satellites in space that may or may not be as secure as they need to be. Uh, I look at 5G smart cities and the implementation and adoption of 5G with great energy and anticipation, but great concern that a 5G city will be held uh, for ransom by attackers. And then lastly, our uh, financial services industry globally has always been on the leading edge and forefront of managing fraudsters and cybercrime and, and uh, working together in international relationships and partnerships to combat it. But I am concerned that sort of the weaponization of artificial intelligence chatbots mixed with cryptocurrency and dark web uh, coordination manipulation campaigns could prevent, could actually um, lead to a future potential run on the banks of a black swan banking event. You know, it is mind boggling um, to see the impact of these cybersecurity threats from an individual all the way to you're describing space now, you know, organizations, countries, and the impact, as you said, is both public, private sector across the board. In your experience, since you've been in this space for so long, has there been, has there been anything that has surprised you, despite everything that you know about cybersecurity, any sort of situation that occurred and that even shocked you as an expert? I think the continued escalation of cyber criminals and the ability to, uh, you know, kind of create real physical um, elements to their cybercrime. You know, so a, a lot of times people think about cybercrime, you say that word, and they think about you know, a, a hacker in a hoodie doing identity theft schemes. And, and certainly that is something that happens. And 
And by the way, hackers are actually ethical hackers. Um, it's, you know, cyber criminals have kind of taken over uh, that word as far as a description in, in media. But, you know, the other piece that is a real surprise to me is each year we sort of have the biggest, baddest cyber incident ever. And then the good guys try to learn from that, lock things down. And then the next year, there's the biggest, baddest breach ever. And you just kind of look at like the last several years, you had the Sony hack, right, which was almost, uh, it was debilitating for days to Sony. They had information stolen, sensitive communications dumped on the internet. Then the next year, you had the UK healthcare system hit with the WannaCry attack, knocking their healthcare out of commission for days, you know, and it just continues to escalate until uh, just recently you had the colonial pipeline and right where I live, uh, there were fistfights breaking out, um, unfortunately at gas stations over fuel. And so the thing that surprises me each year is the ability for cyber criminals to go around our offensive and defensive measures and not just steal things, but actually create real physical kinetic reactions that are hard for us to wrap our heads around and create days, sometimes weeks of terrible impacts. And so I, I am incredibly concerned about the fragility of our technology and the ability of cyber criminals to continuously adapt and learn, react, and then come back with a new tactic. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm still processing all this. I mean, even though we see this, so given this landscape and the audience that, that we have here, all work in organizations where they are trying to protect, you know, their data, customers' data uh, and their assets, uh, what advice do you have for them on how we can improve our security posture? Yeah, I do have hope. So, so there are these terrible um, situations out there but there are really pragmatic things that organizations can do. I always say the first thing you want to start with are the human user stories, because if you look at the majority of the past breaches, it was a mistake. It was a human error that led to sort of that open window, if you will, that let the cyber criminals in. It could be your system administrator misconfiguring a cloud configuration. It could be somebody clicking on a link opening an attachment, recycling a password. And so if we just back up and think about those user stories and find ways to put safety and security nets around the user so that we minimize the opportunity for those mistakes, that makes a big difference. The other thing that makes a big difference, especially if you don't have a big budget, a big team, or a lot of time to focus on this, is to think of creative ways to outthink and outmaneuver cyber criminals. I'll give you an example. Business email compromise, the convincing of a CEO and a CFO to, to wire transfer funds to a criminal's bank account is alive and well in the cyber criminal community. And one way to outthink and outmaneuver that is to create a domain name that you use no place else except for money movement. You don't post it on social media. You have credentials you only use with your bank and you only use it for wire transfer. You create a template that only you know about for these wire transfers. And then you create a code word that go between the requester and the authorizer that nobody else would be able to guess. You can see that's a very simple design 
doesn't cost a lot of money. Right. Is it hackable? Of course, but it's one way to outthink and outmaneuver the bad guys. And so if you can find those creative ways to do those designs, you're going to be one step ahead of the cyber criminals. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. You know, it's the people, the process, the technology. We have to think around all of those aspects in in handling and having and improving our security posture. Just I, you gave us so many different points to think about. Obviously, we as a technology company think about automation also as a way to improve our security posture. The more we can automate and predict, you know, some of these threats and take care of them before they happen. Now, let me ask you a question that may sound controversial. It's been a controversial topic for many people, but if I don't ask you, I think it'll be a missed opportunity. So security and privacy often seem at odds with each other. We often hear that we need to forego elements of our privacy for the sake of security. Do you think that's a fair trade-off? And is there a balance we can strike between being secure and yet upholding our privacy? Or is that a utopian fantasy? I believe if we get the brightest minds in a room, so if we get a combination of academic researchers, independent technologists, uh, it could be big tech, it could be law enforcement, and sit down and come up with a new approach, a new way of thinking, where we provide privacy and encryption so that we protect the security of our communications, protect the security of our devices, but at the same time, if there's a national security event, something similar to having like how we treat nuclear codes, no one person has the codes and there's no sort of backdoor to getting to the codes. There's a whole process that says, you know, there's a sequence of events, there's an approval process that allows us to access the codes and there's multiple people that get involved. We could find if we got the best and brightest minds in the room, we have the technology today to have privacy and security coexist. For whatever reason, we don't have the political will to get in the room. We've got people sort of with their feet in cement on all sides of the argument. And we can argue for privacy and national and international security and find a technology solution that's not backdoors, that's not a big brother watching, but we're going to have to get those creative minds together to hammer that out and come up with the right people, process, and technology to be able to do that. Right. So a lot more work that needs to be done there, a lot more dialogue that needs to be had. Um, now, let me ask you this. What are your predictions for the next wave of security or cyber attacks? And is there anything at all we can do to be better prepared for that? Sure. Um, so one of the first things that I want to mention, because I mentioned a 5G smart city. Um, so a 5G smart city is one of my predictions that it will actually be held for ransom. And so one of the things you want to do is where you know that you have employees, brick and mortar uh, infrastructure in certain cities that are moving towards 5G, talk to your cellular providers and ask them, if there were to be a natural disaster, if there were to be a ransomware event, what would the backup plan be? Will they keep the older infrastructure in place? Will they have the ability to go to a different vendor and switch their customers' traffic to another vendor? And then have a playbook. Take that prediction and actually rehearse that playbook now and ask yourself, what would those backup plans be? Um, my second prediction is that uh, misinformation, disinformation campaigns 
will actually be weaponized by artificial intelligence uh, and that they will start to happen without really any human intervention. So nefarious cyber operatives, either for financial gain or for political motive, will actually create artificial intelligence profiles, bots, and they will basically train them to elevate, escalate arguments for or against an issue. Uh, I'll start very basically. I saw in the research that I did for Manipulated, where researchers had found that Russian cyber operatives actually argued against fracking, took uh, kernels of truth of information about environmental concerns, and then added mistruths to it. Also uh, talked about sort of the dangers of the Canada American oil pipeline. Mm. It's not because they cared about America and Canada's environment. It was more about disrupting America and Canada's energy independence. So fuel prices would go up. So I believe that cyber operatives, whether lone wolves, financial gain, nation state trained, will use weaponized AI chatbots to actually conduct misinformation, disinformation campaigns. They could be targeted against an industry, against a company, or against an executive. And so I, again, would say, have monitoring in place around your industry, your company, your executive, looking for social media mentions. Don't just sort of stick to the traditional social media. Look at also sort of the collaboration and chat sites on the open web, the deep web, and the dark web. And then have a playbook for this. Ask, what are the worst things that uh, a misinformation campaign could say about our industry, company, and executives? And have a pre-debunking campaign ready to go. Uh, And then one other event uh, that I'll share, I have a a long list, but I'll just share a couple, is the potential for a black swan uh, banking event, a mini black, black swan, where cyber criminals in 2022 could access a bank and steal some money. They'll overhype it on social media in a manipulation campaign. And because we've made this huge move to contactless banking, uh, mobile banking, internet, uh, interacting with automated customer service chatbots versus customer service representatives, people will get nervous about what they see and they will try to get to a human being and not be able to which will perpetuate the conspiracy that there's a cover-up. And at that point, deep fake forgeries will be released mm-hmm. uh, by the cyber criminal syndicates, creating a potential run on the global banks. How do you design for that? So one of the things to be thinking about today is talking to your bank about if there was an extended outage, how could you access your money? Because cash is king. You need flow of money for commerce. And then consider having more than one financial institution at the ready should one of your primary financial institutions have a particular cyber incident going on. Yeah, you've given us a lot of great advice on having disaster recovery plans, but also some of the key areas where cyber criminals are particularly active. Um, Obviously, I'm grateful that we have people like yourself who are, you know, uh, watching out for us, uh, the entire world in in a way. Uh, to give us you know, insights into all these cyber criminal activities. But it's also our responsibility as organizations, as companies, as our customers, our partners also, to play our role in it. So, Teresa, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your amazing experiences with us. We really appreciated the, the time and the perspective 
and and all of us are taking home some lessons learned and what we can do to improve our security posture. And thank you so much for again paving the way as a leader in technology and security. You're truly an inspiration. Well, thank you for your contributions to the industry. And my time with you today just flew by. I loved your questions. And uh, thank you again. Take care, Teresa. Now at Nutanix, we offer security by design. It's built into a platform versus bolted on. Since we are a data-centric company, we believe that security needs to be a thought of at every layer of our infrastructure and for data at rest and data in motion. Security continues to be a key investment area for, for us from an engineering perspective. For more information, I encourage you to take clo a closer look through our sessions during .next and also looking at Nutanix.com. Remember, you can watch on-demand sessions if you go to Nutanix.com forward slash next. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week. Thank you.